Well, I want to preach to you about the Holy Week. And I thought, as I was looking through the Gospels, all the stories that Jesus told, all the miracles he did, everything led up to Jerusalem. Everything Jesus did was leading to this week. In the church calendar, this week today, this Palm Sunday, would be the final last few days before he would go to the cross. Everything we believe about the Christian faith hinges on Holy Week. I'm telling you right now, we wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for the week that happened 2,000 years ago when Jesus would go to the cross for us. The Old Testament was good, but there was nothing in the Old Testament that could save us from our sins. We had to keep on paying for it. We had to keep on figuring out a way to earn our right standing with God until Holy Week happened. Everything that involves salvation, justification, sanctification, forgiveness of sins, it all hinges on Holy Week. It's here that Jesus enters into Jerusalem. We read it in all four Gospels that he came riding on a donkey. All the disciples, everyone who had heard about Jesus thought he would be the Savior, that he would be the king that would overthrow the Roman Empire. They thought he would come in power. The Messiah would come bold and strong on horses, chariots, but he comes riding on a donkey. And the same day in Jerusalem that Jesus entered in on Palm Sunday as people pulled out palm branches and laid them right there on the road where Jesus came riding on a donkey and they shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That same day, there was another procession happening on the other side in the city. On the western gate, Pontius Pilate was riding into Jerusalem on a horse with declarations about his power, his might. Pride was coming in through the western gate. Humility was coming in through the eastern gate. Two paths, two processions, two different kingdoms would collide that week. A kingdom of pride, a kingdom of power, and a kingdom of humility and a kingdom of grace. Jesus came on that donkey and the crowd that was shouting, the crowd that was so for him within just five days would change what they shout. The fickleness of the crowd, right? On, on Sunday, they shouted Hosanna, but on Friday, they shouted, crucify him. We want Barabbas. Save Barabbas. Crucify Jesus. But no one would take Jesus' life. He would lay it down for us. It was his decision. He knew what he was going to do. In fact, the night before he would go to the cross, he would have his last supper with the disciples. And he would give one final sermon. And you might think, well, what was it about? Was it about like, follow all the rules, do everything right? No, he said, this is my final commandment. Love one another. By this, the world will know that you are my disciples the way you treat each other. Love each other. This is the commandment. And you go, well, what does love look like? Jesus shows us. The night of the Passover supper, he gets down on his knees. And he pulls out a bowl and he gets a towel and he dips the towel in the bowl of water. And he starts washing his disciples' feet. The same people that will betray him. The same people that will move from loyalty to betrayal within a few days. He begins washing their feet. And he says, love one another. Serve one another. Help each other. Show each other kindness. Show each other compassion. Forgive one another. The way that you love one another is what's going to draw people to the Father. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son 
that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For the Lord did not send his son to condemn the world but to save the world, to save the world. You know, I, I remember 12 years ago playing the part of Jesus. I always get emotional leading up to Holy Week because so many things in my life, so many memories have happened during this week, the week of Easter. But I remember one week in particular, I got to, it was 2010, I played the part of Jesus. And um, I've got the cross over here today. I need some help. If someone can help me bring this cross to the center here. I want this to be the focal point today. If there's one thing you remember about this sermon, I want you to remember the cross because the cross changed everything. And I remember carrying this cross in 2010. I remember walking through this, this area right here. We called it the Via Della Rosa. It's, it's the same place where Jesus went through Jerusalem, the same streets that Jesus rode a donkey hearing Hosanna in the highest. That same week, Jesus would come and he would walk the streets of the Via Della Rosa. Y'all can lean it up against this. I know that's a heavy cross. Let's give these guys a big hand. I'm a little nervous for them. Yeah. Is it gonna, well, y'all might just stay right there. There you go, stay right there. <laughs> 2010, I was hanging, hanging on this cross and I remember just looking out, catching eyes with people. You know, every year I had watched the Easter drama, but. This was the first year in 2010, it was right after my dad passed and I was battling depression, discouragement, sadness, even a sense of hopelessness, wondering what life would look like now that he was gone and the church and, and I was catching eyes with people in the crowd as I was hanging on this cross and you know, everything, it's like the way that they put your hands in here and, and the fake blood, but I remember just feeling a fraction of pain and, and hearing God say, I took so much pain for you. I took so much suffering for you. Isaiah 53 says the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. There is a punishment for sin, but Jesus paid it all. The wages of sin is death, but Jesus took that death on the cross. He took our pain. He took our suffering. That same year, my brother was one of the Roman centurions, and I could tell that people were, you know, making me pay a little extra with the whiplashes and the, the crown of thorns. Even though it was all fake, it, it didn't feel fake in the moment. I was getting really whipped, and, and they were pressing down the crown of thorns. And one guy came up to me after service. He said, Jesus gained some weight this year. And I was like, yeah, put on a few pounds. The previous Jesus was like a buck 50, but I was like, I was 200 pounds probably. And... Um, and I was like, yeah, but I remember just that whole week, what God was speaking to me, what God was doing to me, reminding me why he came, why Jesus came. What is the cross all about? It's about you and I finding forgiveness. It's about you and I finding salvation. It's about you and I bringing our crowns, our righteous deeds, and recognizing we cannot get to heaven without the cross. Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. Saved people go to heaven. Redeemed people go to heaven. There's only one way. It's through Jesus. And I was reflecting during this season what, what Jesus came to do, why he came. And I was reading through all the gospels, and I was reflecting on just what God's been doing in my heart and my life. 
And I kept landing on Luke 15. And I want us to go there today. If you got Bibles, just turn to Luke 15. Yeah, you can make some noise. Quite possibly the most famous story Jesus told is in Luke 15. People would argue that the two most popular stories that even non-Christians know would be the Good Samaritan and the Prodigal Son. But in Luke 15, Jesus, you need to understand why he tells these stories. He's telling these stories on his way to Jerusalem. He's telling these stories on his way to Calvary, the hill that he would die, the cross that he would die on, knowing that everyone who was listening to these stories needed that cross. Everyone. See, the, the ground at the cross is level. In other words, none of us stand above each other. Pastors and priests and, and coaches and teachers and moms and dads and saints and sinners, we all come to the cross at level ground. We all stand below the cross. Healing doesn't flow from you. It flows from him. Forgiveness doesn't flow from you first. It flows from him. We love because he first loved us. Don't get the message wrong. You are not the savior of your soul. It is Jesus. It is Jesus. So Jesus tells this story. It says in Luke 15 verse 1, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Who was with him? Tax collectors and sinners. In other words, people that the religious people were mad that Jesus was hanging out with. It's interesting that the people who were least like Jesus felt the most comfortable around Jesus. And the people who thought they were most like God felt the least comfortable around Jesus. Pharisees cringed when he opened his mouth, like, what's he going to say? Can't stand this guy. He's always preaching wrong sermons. And the sinners were like, I love his stories. I love what he has to say. You know, like the drunks and the prostitutes and the partiers were like, we're hanging out with Jesus tonight. And the religious people were like, how dare he hang out with you, sinners. And so Jesus, Jesus preaches between two groups of people at the table. Tax collectors and sinners were gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees in verse 2 and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners, and he eats with them too. How dare the Son of God eat with sinners? Why do you think he came? It's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. And oftentimes the healthy are sick, we just don't want to admit it. And it's not the, the people who are found that need a savior, it's the lost. But even the found people are a little lost too. And it's until we come to a place of humility and say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I can't do it without you. I'm hopeless, I'm powerless, I'm like Paul with the bench press. I'm on my third rep and I can't get the bar up, spotter. And Jesus says, that's why I came. In your weakness, his strength is made perfect. When you are powerless, he's powerful. So Jesus tells this parable. He says, suppose one of you has 100 sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? You know, Ashley and I, we got five kids under the age of eight, which is just wild. And every now and then a kid gets lost. I mean, listen, it's just, we're trying to keep track of ourselves. And uh, so we're keeping track of five kids and it's, you know, but recently... Um, they all kind of rotate which one gets lost sometimes. But recently, Matt got lost. And he was lost for a solid 30 minutes or so. 
and it kind of scared us. We were trying to look for him, didn't know where he was, and, and come to find out one of the neighbors had found him almost a mile, <laughs> a half mile away, and don't judge, guys. We're doing our best, all right? Don't act like you've never lost something in your life. <laughs> so we, uh, we got Mac. He's three years old, and he was happy. He's like, I was just walking around, just checking out things. He just, he's a little man. I've got a picture of me and Mac, I think, somewhere back here. But this, this little guy, he, uh, he just gets lost every now and then. And when he was lost, there's Mac, yeah. When he was lost, all we could think about was him. Liam and Benny and Ellie and Gianna, they were right there with us. We loved them. We still love them. But in the moment of Mac being lost, all we could think about was Mac. It's not that we don't love the other four kids. It's just that we've got to find this lost son. God loves everybody in the house. But when one person is missing, his heart starts beating for that one person. Because God's heart beats for people, 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 people. There's someone in your life that needs Jesus. Someone that his heart is breaking for. Someone that maybe you've canceled. Someone that you've X'd out and God says, stop. I still have a plan for her. I still have a plan for him. I still have a plan of redemption, of restoration. We serve a God who went to the cross to restore the world, to reconcile the world. It's his will that all would be saved. And so when the shepherd goes and finds that sheep, he does not stop until he finds the sheep. And when he does find the sheep, he does not hit the sheep. He does not scream at the sheep. He doesn't take the sheep, throw the sheep in front of the flock and say, look at this dumb sheep. No, he gracefully lifts that sheep on his shoulders, carries that sheep back to the flock, throws a party with all of his neighbors and says, I have found my lost sheep. And Jesus says, just like that, when one sinner repents, all of heaven rejoices over the 99 righteous people who do not need to repent, but that one sinner makes a party in heaven when they turn to God. You know, the word repentance just means to turn, just to turn back to God, just to turn. I, someone sent me a video of a sheep that had gotten stuck in, in between two rocks and his front end was stuck down there and all that was sticking out was his booty and his legs and he's just wiggling around and a shepherd is trying to pull him out by his two hind legs and shepherd finally pulls him out and the sheep's like, yay, runs and jumps right back into the crack. And I just was like, that is me sometimes. <laughs> is that you sometimes? Yeah. And you, like, he just pulled you out and the shepherd, you know, just goes back gracefully, pulls the sheep out again. And this is the heart of God. He never gives up on us. Never gives up on us. Never gives up on you. Never gives up on your kids. Never gives up on your wife. Never gives up on your husband. Never gives up on your mom. Never gives up on your dad. Or suppose a woman, Jesus says. He tells three stories here. He's a great storyteller. Suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and she loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? Our kids are like this. Anytime they, they, they lose something, there's just an all-out search party. We've got to find this. We've got to find this. And they, it gets intense in our house when one of the kids loses something. 
And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. See, the cross and Easter is about coming to God, kneeling to God, finding your place at the cross and saying, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. And receiving his forgiveness, receiving his healing. The book of Acts says when we repent, times of refreshing will come. I found that in my own life, every time I repent, God brings a refreshing of his presence, of his love. And this morning is a time to receive the refreshing presence of God. There's power in repentance. And repentance starts between you and God, saying, Lord, I've missed it in some areas. Lord, I need you. Lord, change me from the inside out. Work in my heart. Work in my life. David said it like this, search me, O God, and know my heart. Lord, test me and see every anxious thought. Remove everything from me that's not of you and lead me in the way everlasting. A broken and a contrite spirit the Lord will not reject. And you go, yeah, 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 this is why we got to do it all. But God says, I want it right between me and you. So Jesus tells one more story, one more story to convey his heart. He says, there was once a man, a father, who had two sons. The younger son said to his dad, father, give me my share of the estate. In other words, I wish you were dead so I could get my inheritance. But since you're not, whatever you wrote in the will, I want you to give it to me while you're still alive. How terrible of a thing to say to your dad. This young man was just completely selfish and just basically spat in his dad's face. And yet the father gave it to him. The dad, I could just see him, just tears in his eyes saying, oh, if you only knew I love you so much. It's going to take me some time. I got to liquidate some things. I, I had a lot that I was going to give you once I was dead, and now you want it now. I'll give it all to you, and it, he gives it to him. He gives him all this money, starts handing him bags of gold. This is what I've been saving up for you. And once the son has it, not long after that, Jesus says in verse 13, the younger son got together all he had, and he set off for a distant country. By the way, a distant country for all of us in this room, sons and daughters of the father, Sometimes a distant country doesn't mean traveling off to some far off place. It just means in your heart, you start drifting from the love of God. You start getting into a place of bitterness, resentment, sin, anger, darkness, pride, lust, jealousy, whatever it is. We're always just one step away from that distant country. God never leaves, but he does allow us to take steps away from him. So the son starts walking away from the father's house, and he finds what he thought he was looking for. He spends his life in wild living. He squanders his father's wealth in living for himself. The world promises you everything and leaves you with nothing. Sin promises to satisfy your desires, but it leaves you emptier than before. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine. Things got worse for him. He lost his money. He lost his friends. He began to be in need. He didn't know where to turn, and he was wrestling to survive, wrestling to just stay alive. He was in a low place. Where do you go when you feel low? This young man, he, he hired himself out to a citizen of that country. 
And that, that, that person sent him off to work in the fields to feed the pigs. So here he is just trying to stay alive, feeding pigs. You know, I was thinking about how so, so often our spiritual journey can feel like a wrestling match with God. Can feel like we're, we're just, we're wrestling with surrender. This young man is still living in a bad place. Even though he's not sinning, he's just in a low place because he doesn't want to go back home yet. Shame is keeping him in this cycle. Ash and I, we were laughing uh, during this sabbatical break. One of our kids, in fact, it was Mac again. This kid is just, he is pray for Mac. But Ashley, you got to come up here and tell the story because Mac was in a wrestling match with Ashley. And, um, and in this wrestling match, it just revealed even more the heart of God. Yeah, well, you guys saw... Our sweet little Mackie Poo. He's so sweet. Put that little innocent face up there. Oh, just so cute, right? Just so cute. And there's another picture I want to show you. And, yep, that's him right there in the middle. Right there in the middle. All the other horses are just, you know, looking pretty obedient. Um, but the one in the middle is just the wild stallion. And that is our little Mackie. And not too long ago, I was doing something in the kitchen and getting ready, about to leave, of course, about to leave something important, uh, about to leave to go somewhere important, like get my hair done for the Henshaw wedding, and that's what I was going to do. And Matt picked the perfect time, right, to be triggered by something that I asked him to do. And you never know what's going to set these little three-year-olds off. But I found one of his triggers, and for some reason, he was not wanting to do what I asked him to do. And he's got a strong will, and we are constantly praying. We want to lead his spirit. We don't want to crush his leadership stallion spirit, but we do want it to be yielded. And so, anyways, so in that moment, you know, it's all about picking and choosing your battles. But I did feel like the Holy Spirit... I was like, you have some time before you got to leave. You need to handle this. You need to deal with this because he was going a little wild and we had a sitter coming. I did not want her to inherit this mess of a situation. And they can only do so much, you know, all the blessed sitters. And anyways, so I just felt like I need to handle it. Well, as I was handling it, I mean, his will got stronger. I mean, that little stallion was bucking his way through the living room. And I was like, okay, we got to go to the room. And I just felt like I was supposed to, I was like, Lord, what do I do in the moment? And I just felt like I was supposed to hold him like really tight. I honestly don't know who started the wrestling match, but I just felt like I was supposed to hold him really tight and just, I don't know, just do something to help this guy surrender. And anyway, so I was holding him really tight, and then I started holding him more. It lasted, y'all, bonus material for the 11 a.m. service. This wrestling match lasted seriously like 30 minutes. I mean, I was sweating. I was so exhausted um, from holding him, and he was too, but he was not willing to give up his will. And he wanted relief, but he did not want to surrender. That'll preach. Paul's about to preach about it. He is preaching about it. He wanted relief. He asked me in the middle of our little match, he goes, I need a break. Like he wanted relief, but he did not want to give up his will. And then he went, I was like, Matt, I was like, just, just let me, you will get more energy back. 
if you just let me embrace you, if you just let me help you, if you just let me hold you. But he didn't. And he kept going. And then he goes, I need a pillow. Like he was desperate in his little three-year-old heart. He was desperate for relief. I mean, this match was exhausting him, me just holding him tight. And finally, he just gave in. He just realized, man, I want the relief more than I want my way, more than I want my will. He gave it up. And I'm telling you, that rest of the day, he was a piece of cake for my sitter. And so that was awesome. But yeah, as I was sharing that story with Paul, I'm like, how many times are we exhausted because we're resistant to surrender? You know, we're exhausted um, from relationships because we're resistant to forgive. We're exhausted in something that God is really um, working and wrestling in our heart. And we want the relief. But a lot of times we want the relief without the surrender. And we got to give up our will, God's will, to truly enter into a spirit of rest. And he's still bucking around. I mean, I wish that would have saved a soul for the rest of eternity, but we're still working on training. Come on. How many of y'all are still working on your own training? I can so relate to that story, though. How many of y'all can see it in your own life, in your own mind, where you're like, yep, I've been in wrestling matches with God, just stubborn. Anyone stubborn in the room or married to somebody stubborn or have a stubborn kid? All of us know somebody, if you're not going to admit it. Maybe it is you, though, but you're too stubborn to say it. So this son, he's, he's stubbornly lost, and he's, he's here, and he's feeding these pigs. And it says he began to feel desperate, longing to eat what the pigs were eating. God will let you get to that place of desperation because he loves you, because he knows you need to feel it in order to change. He allows you to feel it, to change out of his love. Just like Ashley allowed Mac to finally feel the place of, I'm only going to be relieved when I surrender. You know, as we get towards this next week, Easter is about surrender. It's about surrender and it's about expectancy. It's about Good Friday, coming to the cross and laying down, surrendering our pride, our will, our way. Even as I was on sabbatical, I was just, it was a season of surrender. And, um, and I didn't realize how much I leaned on my iPhone. Like, that's what I use for maps. And I was in another state, and I went to go and listen and just receive some great wisdom from some spiritual fathers. And, and I got lost between the airport and the place. It was 15 minutes away, but it took me three hours to get there. And I'm like calling Ashley on my flip phone. I switched to a flip phone, just had her number. And I was like, babe. She was going to meet me a few days later and with the kids, and I was like, I can't find this place. And she was like, that's so good. Just lean into that. Let the Holy Spirit just speak to you on this sabbatical season. I was like, but I'm lost, you know. I found myself at Burger King at midnight. It was a low place, and I'm just sitting there and just like, Lord, speak to me, you know, and talking to people at Burger King. Do you guys know how to get around here? And I don't even know where I'm going, you know, and but I was there, and I was listening to K-Love Radio. K-Love starts coming on, and come on, I'm like a monthly supporter now. I wasn't listening to the radio, but now I am. And so um, I was sitting there, and just song after song, it was like the Lord just began ministering and speaking to me, just downloading words in my heart. 
and just showing me just areas to continue to grow in as a dad, as a father, as a husband, as a pastor, as a leader. And can I tell you this? The greatest place to be is surrender. Humility is our only path towards victory. It's the only path to Calvary. This is why Jesus said, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. It's here that Jesus finishes the story. He says, this boy was so at a broken spot that he finally came to his senses. Thank God for the moments when we come to our senses. It's a spiritual awakening. I believe America is about to come to her senses. I believe the American church is awakening their senses of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, he's calling us as deep calls to deep. He's saying, come, come broken. Come to the cross. Come to the, come to the altar call. Stop running from God. Stop fighting in this wrestling match. Just surrender. And the son starts to think, how many of my dad's hired servants have food to spare? And I'm starving to death. I will set out and I'll go back to my father. And I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. This is the first step in repentance is saying, Lord, it's against you and you alone. And then the son says, and I've got to write a speech to my dad. So he starts writing down this sob speech. I'm not worthy to be called your son. You can hire me to be one of your servants. I'll sleep in the barn. You don't even have to call me one of yours. I, I disowned you. It's okay for you to disown me. So he gets up and he's got this letter that he's going to read to his dad. And as he's walking back to the house, you got to remember that the character in this story, the main character is not the son, it's the father. The father had been pacing the porch. Every now and then he'd be looking out thinking he saw someone, but it was just a traveler coming by. The father had been praying for the son. And it says, but while he was still a long ways off. Now remember, this is red letters. Jesus is talking. This isn't Peter. This isn't David. This isn't in the Psalms. This isn't Matthew, Mark. This is Jesus talking. In other words, Jesus wants you to know this is the heartbeat of God. This is how God handles sons and daughters. This is how God deals with people. While he was still a long ways off, the father saw him. The father sees you. He sees your sons. He sees your daughters. He sees the lost people in our nation. He sees every broken person, every broken home. And when he looks at you, he doesn't look at you with eyes of judgment. No, he looks at you through the cross. And he sees you as children of God. And he calls you home. The cross is the invitation to his mercy and grace and the father when he sees him he starts running with compassion can i tell you the father is running towards you the father is not running to hit you the father is not crossing his arms shaking his head angry at you we'll get to that character a little bit later but the father is running with open arms can I tell you, you're never too far gone. You're never too far lost for God to redeem you, to restore you, to forgive you, to heal you, to save you. And when the father grabs the son, he pulls him in and he wraps his arms around him. And the son starts crying, Dad, I'm so sorry, Dad. There's things I... I and the, the father interrupts him and he says, stop it. And he shouts at the house as he's having this beautiful moment with his son. He says, everybody! My son is home. He was lost, but now he's found. He was dead, but now he's alive. And that's all that matters is he's back home. 
What is the father doing? The father is setting a precedent for how the house should treat the son. The father is setting a precedent for what heaven says in this moment. And Jesus says, the father began to say, kill the fattened calf, get a robe, get a ring. A ring represents unending love. A ring represents marriage. In other words, the father was saying, you threw the ring at me, but I'm putting it back on your finger. I'm telling you that you belong in this house. There's a seat at the table. The robe represents restoring righteousness back to you. Put on your garment of praise. Some of you have been carrying heaviness this year. You've been carrying depression this year. You've been carrying guilt this year. You've been carrying shame this year, and the enemy keeps whispering in your ear, shame on you, shame on you, stay with the pigs, but the Father's saying, shame off you, shame off you. You see, the world always shouts accusations. We live in a cancel culture society, accuser, accuser, that's how the accuser of the brethren works, daily, just accusing sons and daughters. You're not a good mom, you're not a good dad, you're not a good son, you're not a good daughter. The enemy always is accusing accusation, condemnation, humiliation, eat with the pigs. But the cross shouts restoration. The Father shouts restoration. The Father shouts salvation. The Father shouts justification. The cross has the final word. So the Father starts cooking up a meal. I mean, it's a party. And they start celebrating. And this is where we want to end at times. Because we go, okay, yeah, that sounds good. Let's go eat. Rib crib, Texas Roadhouse, let's go. But I would be robbing you of the story if I finished here. So meanwhile, the older son was in the field. Jesus isn't done with the story. There's one more character he needs to circle back to. It's the one we forgot about, the other brother. And the older son was in the field and he came near the house and he heard music and dancing. And he calls one of the servants and he says, what's going on? What's going on? I, I smell steak. I smell rolls. I smell cornbread. I smell green beans. I smell fried chicken. I smell, <laughs> I'm just getting everybody for lunch right here. It's coming. It's coming. You're like, wrap it up, preacher. All right. All right. He says, I hear music, I hear dancing, I, it's like a party's happening, what, what's going on? They said, your brother's back, he's back, he came home, and your dad killed the fattened calf, because he's got him back safe and sound, he's alive. The older brother shakes his head, he becomes angry, he refuses to go in, so his father comes outside and pleads with him, but the brother answers to the father, look, all these years, I've been slaving for you, listen to this. Jesus is trying to say something to the people listening that day. There was Pharisees in the room. There was tax collectors. There were sinners. There were temple people. And when he said, all these years I've been slaving for you, Jesus is trying to say, there's a group of people who think the only way to get the love of God is to work for it. The only way to be right with God is to earn it, to slave for it. The only way to have a seat at the table is to prove that you're worthy enough through your good deeds. But watch how Jesus responds here. He says, the brother said, I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed one of your orders, yet you never even gave me a goat. This guy's angry about goats when there's filet mignon on the table. You didn't throw a little party for my friends. But when this son of yours who squandered your property 
with wild living comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? Are you kidding me? Why are you doing this? My son, the father says, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Did you know that everything God has is yours? All of the kingdom belongs to you. You've been given forgiveness, love, joy, peace, goodness, salvation. Don't you forget that God gave it to you. It was a gift. You didn't earn it. It was the cross. He purchased it. Lord, let us never forget the mercy that you've shown us, the goodness that you've shown us, the grace that you've shown us. The second we forget it, we start living like the older brother, missing out on the party. The father says we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and now he's found. Church, we have a calling this week as we head towards Easter. It's a calling of repentance. It's a calling of forgiveness. It's a calling to invite prodigal sons and daughters to the cross and to meet each other there. This altar is an invitation to say, Lord, our city, our state, our nation, our world needs you. So start with me. We're going to take communion right now. I'm going to ask us just to pull together our communion elements. And if you need one of those, just lift your hand. Our ushers will come and find you. They've done an incredible job. All the ushers, the dream team, just serving, preparing for you. And as we get ready to take communion, I'm going to ask us just to search our hearts. Because Jesus... When he took communion with his disciples, he wanted to make sure their hearts were fully aware of what this new covenant was about. The Bible says don't take communion in an unholy manner. If there's things you need to repent of, if there's areas that you need to confess to the Lord, that you would just do that in your heart today. That you would take a moment to whisper to God and say, God, I'm sorry for this. Maybe it's thoughts, maybe it's words, maybe it's unforgiveness, maybe it's hurt. Maybe it's something you've been holding on to. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's pride. I've been there. We've all been there. We all need the mercy and the grace of God. His kindness leads us towards repentance. The father's compassion is the only reason that son felt like he could come back home. He knew the heart of his dad. And that's where the healing flows, is knowing your father's heart. Maybe you grew up with a father that wasn't very kind. Maybe you grew up getting hit every time you did something wrong, getting yelled at, getting cussed out for making a mistake. Well, let me tell you, that's not the heart of our God. When you miss it, he's right there to lift you up. He's right there to welcome you back home. He's right there to say, shame off you. I forgive you. I love you. I paid the price for you. We're going to bow our heads and close our eyes right now. And I'm going to ask us as we are taking a moment with heads bowed and eyes closed, just to look in our hearts, to think about the cross and ask yourself, is there something I need to surrender? Is there something I need to lay down before I take this communion? If there's something you need to surrender or repent of today, just lift your hand up all over this room. Just raise your hand and say, that's me. Yeah, from the front to the back. Yeah, maybe you've been in church your whole life. Maybe you're on staff at church and you just say, there's areas that I just need God to work on in my life most beautiful place to be is surrender. God is more impressed with surrender than he is success. He doesn't care about your image. He cares about your soul. What profit is it to gain the whole world but to lose your soul? With heads bowed, eyes closed, if you raised your hand or didn't, but you want to pray this prayer, just say this with me. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross 
for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead. And I repent today and I receive your forgiveness. I believe in you and I confess you as my Lord and Savior. I need you, God, and I receive your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take the bread. Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. As we eat this, we remember that Jesus gave his body for us. Next, he took the cup. And he said, this cup represents my blood that's poured out for you, for the remission of your sins. Jesus would never go to the cross again. He went once and for all, for all generations. He went for every sin that you would ever commit. He paid for it on the cross. He took the punishment for our peace. By his stripes, we are healed. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was laid upon him. As we drink this cup, we remember that we have been washed by the blood of the lamb. We've been forgiven of our sins. Let's remember today. Come on, Jesus. Why don't you stand to your feet all over this place? Give thanks to God today for his goodness, for his mercy, for his love. Come on, go ahead and take a moment just to celebrate the goodness of God. Go ahead and receive it today. Receive the refreshing presence of God, his mercy. Lord, great are you. I want to do something right now. If you just want to bring something to the cross, here's what we're going to do as we get ready to end this service. I want to invite anyone who just wants to find a spot at this cross. We're going to take a couple minutes to worship. And just to, before we dismiss, just to soak in this place. If you want to just come and find a spot at the altar, maybe there's things that God was speaking to you during communion that you're called to lay down. Areas that God's saying, repent of that. Lay it down at the cross. Surrender that. The fear, the worry, the cares, the strife, the sin, the arguments, the, the division, the anger, the hostility, the pride, whatever it is, to bring it to the cross. And as we worship, we're just going to open up this altar right here for the next few minutes. Just linger in his presence. Just let the Holy Spirit minister to you this morning. Jesus paid it all.
Lord, your name is stronger. Your cross is bigger. Your blood speaks louder than any sin, than any demonic attack against any person in this room. Lord, I thank you, God, that your cross has the final word. God, that your blood has paid the final price. Lord, I thank you, God, that what you're doing in every heart, every life in this room and online, God, you're just getting started with the good things you have in store for every person, God, that you've called, every son and every daughter. Lord, I thank you that we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses cheering us on as we fix our eyes on you, the author, the pioneer of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Lord, we do not lose heart. We do not give up. Lord, we take a stronger grip on your grace today, a stronger grip, God, on the unshakable kingdom and foundation we have in Christ, in your love, God, in your salvation, in your gospel truth the good news. God, I thank you, Lord, that today is just the beginning of the new great revival that you're stirring in hearts and lives. God, we lift you up today. Just say the name of Jesus right now over everything that you're facing, over every situation. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Lord, we speak your name. 